in our study today, we are going to be studying about the seven last plagues. We have studied about Revelation chapter 14, where it talks about the three angels' message and the 144,000 and the two harvests. And the, at the end of that, and the earth is prepared and ready, and now God's last seven plagues are going to fall upon the earth, which is described in Revelation chapter 15 and 16. So, <clears throat> chapter 15 is setting up the stage for the last plagues to fall. First half of the chapter 15 is talking about the reward of the saints. And the second half is the preparation for the seven last plagues. So, um, while, while the wicked people are getting ready to receive the seven last plagues, God's people, on the other hand, are they also participating in the seven last plagues? If you read chapter 15, it describes how they'll be standing next to the, the uh, sea of glass. Um, they will be standing there, and they will be preserved, basically. So God's people are not being punished during the seven last plagues. They are not, the, the plagues will not fall on them. It will not affect them, God's people. So we need to know the difference between seven trumpets and the seven last plagues. The language between the two are very similar in some sense, but seven trumpets in Revelation chapter 8 and seven last plagues in Revelation chapter 16 are two completely different uh, plagues or different, uh, different kind of events. One, seven trumpets will bring, God, bring people back to God. It would, it would warn them so that people will come back to God. Whereas in seven last plagues, they will not have any effect on turning people back to God. They will not repent as a result. Actually, people who receive the seven last plagues will actually curse God. They will not return to God because the provision has already ended before the seven last plagues fall. But during the seven trumpets, that is before the close of provision, people still have chance to come back to God. So that's the difference between the two. Now, for this sermon preparation, I've used SDA Bible Commentary and Dr. Stefanovich that I've been using, and also Pastor David Wright's uh, sermons uh, and, and various different sources for my uh, sermon today. And, and Revelation 15, if you read it, it, it talks about how the chapter is preparing um, for the seven last plagues. And the seven last plagues, one thing that we need to know is that uh, God's plague or the punishment is going to fall on this earth, this people. But up until now, when you see the earthquake, when you see the pestilence, when you see the, the wars and, and whatever is happening, we can think that, you know what, this is really severe than before. This is getting more intense. This is getting worse. But you know what? We haven't seen anything like this yet. Anything like the seven last plagues yet. Yes, we've, we have the record of the ten plagues in Egypt, but that's not even compared to what this is. Because at this time, it will fall without the mercy of God. Up until now, God has been mixing his mercy and his love and his compassion with the plagues that have fallen. But at this time, there is no mercy. So when you see that happening, uh, it's going to be way worse than what has ever been in human history. And people may ask, like, if God is God of love, why would God 
give this kind of punishment to, to people. I mean, is not God a God of love? Why would God punish? Is, is God enjoying punishing people? What's the purpose of seven last plagues? I mean, what's the purpose? If, God, if the, those people are not going to come back to God, why punish them, right? And we will study why God will send these last plagues to God's people. And can we find Christ in the seven last plagues? Because that's, that's, the, that's the most important part. Any Bible, any Bible prophecy will center around Christ. And that's the purpose of those messages, right? So we need to find Christ in seven last plagues as well. So that's what we'll be doing today. So the first plagues in Revelation chapter 16, verse 2. Let's read from, we had the scripture reading verse 1, so let's read from verse 2. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and the ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. So the first angel pours his plague bowl on the earth, and the plague, the first plague is what? Painful sores, like the boils, that come to, to who? Who are the ones who will have, have the, the punishment of the first plague? It says, people who have received what? The mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Until now, who are the minority? Who are the ones who have been persecuted? People who do not have the mark of the beast. They are the ones who are chased. They are the ones who the whole world is going after, trying to kill, trying to persecute. But this time, now the scene is flipped. Now the people who have the mark of the beast are the ones who will receive the punishment. And the first punishment is the source. And why source? Why source? <laughs> it's, it's interesting because if you, if you know the Bible, um, basically... Um, God, up until this time, has been providing security and, and, and safety, and God has been protecting God's people, right? But in the last days, the last time, Satan is threatening God's people and saying that if you do not receive the mark of the beast, what will happen? You'll be killed. And if you don't have this mark of the beast, would you be able to buy or sell? No. You won't be able to buy or sell. So basically, if you don't have the mark of the beast, you would, have, you would not have physical security. The mark of the beast is the only, the only security that you will have. Your physical well-being is dependent on the mark of the beast. That's what they are trying to tell you. That's what they are saying. And so far, it looked like that was the case. But you know what? When this happens, when the first plague falls, they will realize that the people who have received the mark of the beast now have source. The physical security that the mark of the beast or the beast has promised is falling down. It's breaking. Whatever, they, whatever the beast has promised, it, could not, it cannot deliver. That's what the plague uh, proves, saying that you said the mark of the beast will give you security. It will help you. It will protect you. But see what's happening. It is actually God who is our, our strong tower. It is God who will protect our physical bodies. It is God who would, who would save us. Like 
Uh, Psalm 91, verses 1 through 3. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings you will find refuge. So the message of the first plague when it brings source to the people who receive the mark of the beast, is that trust God, He is our protection. If you wait until that time, it is too late. The message is given now so that we can read about it and we can prepare ahead of time before the last plagues fall. Trust God, He is our protection. Second plague for, from verse 3 says this, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into the blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. So can you imagine when the second angel pours his bowl onto the land, onto the sea, and the sea turned into what? Blood of a dead man, and everything, every living thing in the sea died. So this is still not the entire globe. This is just a portion of the whole world. But imagine sea, water, ocean turning into blood, blood of a dead person. So uh, blood alone is, is gross to so think about. it. If you think the ocean is filled with blood, that would just be, just, just be terrible. But blood of a dead person, there is nothing worse than that. I mean, just imagine a person, when a person dies and time passes and the blood starts to, starts to decay and starts to change, you don't want to smell that. You don't want to see that. But the whole ocean is filled with that. Just about a month ago, there was a, a Japanese oil tanker that, that got um, shipwrecked. And in, in where? In Mauritius, in, in the... In the shore of Mauritius, and about a 1,000 ton of oil got spilled, and it's spreading everywhere. Have you seen that news? Yeah? So people are cleaning up what's going on. So when that's happening, it's just one oil tanker, and the oil of just 1,000 uh, oil got spilled, and the, the whole island is basically ruined. They, their commerce and everything is just, just stopped. They can't really sail. They can't really do anything. They, the beautiful island before um, is just completely ruined until they clean up, and it will take years for them to clean up. But what's the purpose? What's the point? Uh, what does it mean that the sea turns into blood? So ships and seas in the Bible times represent business and commerce. That's what it meant. It was their way of communicating or trade. Today, most of the shipping and trade and businesses happens through the air and lots of trucks, even though still there are a lot of cargo ships that are, that are used. But a lot of it is now done over the air. Back then, the majority of, of, of transportation was over the ship, and cargo was, the, was actually shipped. So basically, when ships... Um, ships are, are, are mentioned in the Bible. It's talking about business, economy, and wealth, prosperity. That's what it symbolizes according to the Estee Bible commentary. So when the ocean turns into blood, do you think 
boats will be able to sail? No. It will stop, just like the, just like the, the ships in, in near the, the island of Mauritius stopped. Everything will stop. So when the mark of the beast or the beast has promised that I will give you prosperity, you'll be able to buy and sell. You need to have this mark of the beast. Otherwise, you will be hungry. You'll be poor. You won't have any security. You will not have any funds in your bank account. That's what he promised when you received the mark of the beast. But when you actually received the mark of the beast, you had a split moment of security that moment. But eventually, what do you receive? The second plague, that the whole water turning into blood, meaning all the economy of the world will collapse. And they will, it will provide, it will prove that Satan will not be able to provide the security, the wealth, and, and the prosperity that it promised to its people. That's what we will prove. The second plague will prove. And uh, Matthew 6.19, Lay not up your tre uh, yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and, and rust corrupt, and where thieves break into and steal. But lay up upon yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through uh, nor steal. So the message of the second, second um, plague is that God is our source of blessing. He is the only source of blessing. He's the one who blesses us. He's the one who will provide for us. If we trust in God, no matter what happens, He's the one who will secure and sustain our lives and blessing. Because the Bible says, your bread and water shall be sure when you trust in God. But if you trust in man, or if you trust in the beast, if you trust in Babylon, then you think that it will be okay for a moment, but eventually it will all collapse and fall. The third plague in verse 4 is this. And the third angel poured his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments. You are, you who are, and you were the Holy One, because you have, no, you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. So the third plague says that not only the ocean water, but now the fresh water, the rivers and the springs of water turn into blood. So what does fresh water or springs of water and river represent in the Bible? How long can you survive without drinking water? Maybe hours? Maybe days? <laughs> hours in this heat, definitely. But days. I mean, so in the Bible, fresh water was considered precious. When there is a war breaking out, what's the first thing that they secure? Yes, they need to store up grains, food, but the first thing that they secure is the water source. Because without the water source, you cannot survive. So you remember the, the tunnel that Hezekiah built, that, that the, the water will flow, and then it would, it's like the, the secret underwater tunnel. And you can, you can actually go visit that when you go to Israel. It's, it was one of the, the most exper like, exciting experiences that I had. 
you can actually go and, and walk the tunnel inside and you can have the water fill up to your ankle or to your knee or sometimes to your waist and see how, and it's still cold water flowing. And that water will flow and come out to the uh, river, river uh, or the pool of Siloam. So that, that water was the precious part that they had to secure. And water turning into blood, the fresh water turning into blood symbolizes the source of life. And, and physical life is in jeopardy. You, the, the promise that the beast has given to the people who have received the mark of the beast, that I will provide for you, I will give you security in your life, I, would, I, will, I will make your life, I will sustain your life, the promise that he has given is now broken. He cannot provide what he has promised. That's what is happening. And like in verse 16, 6, it says, they have shed the blood of the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. This is talking about the martyrdom. Martyrdom of God's prophets and people who have died all this time throughout history. And many people who have given up their lives for Jesus. Now, will there be anybody who will be dying through this time, the seven last plagues? Any of God's people who will be dying? What do you think? No, because this is after the probation closes. Meaning, the reason why God would allow God's people to die is that there is a purpose. The blood of a martyr will become the seed, and some will repent as a result. That is the reason why. When Stephen died, when he was stoned to death, what happened to people who were watching him? What about the many other people who have died and who have given their lives? When they shed their blood, if you read the book of uh, Great Controversy, what happened? When there's one person died, many more, uh, dozens, if not hundreds of people have converted, saying that, you know what? There is something in believing in Christ. I want to have what that person who died for Christ had, the passion, the zeal, that, that heart. I want to have that too. And they too became converted and they followed Christ. At this time, during the last seven plagues, will there be anybody who will be converting into Christianity or believing in God? No. Nobody will con convert back to God. So God is not going to waste another life of God's people dying at this time. And Job 33, 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The message of the third plague is that we need to give our lives to God because He is the giver and the sustainer of life. Third plague reminds us of how God provides our lives. It is not the beast. It is not Satan who will sustain our lives. It is not him who will, who will give security for our physical life. It is actually God who will sustain our lives. We need to thank Him for giving us life and sustaining our lives. No matter how fragile, fragile our lives may look, no matter how, how deceiving it may look when we don't receive the mark of the beast, He does not have control over our lives. It is God who has control over our lives. So we need to keep that in mind. The fourth plague in verse 8 says this, The fourth angel poured out his bowl of the sun, on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. 
and they searched by the intense and they seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over those plagues. They refused to repent and glorify him. As we just read, when they receive the plagues, do they repent and go back to God? No, according to verse 8 and 9, they do not. They rather curse God. So they do not repent at this time. because Not because if there is more time given, they will repent. No, because they have made a decision already. God has given everyone enough time to make their decision. They have made their decision. And, and the Bible says, those who, uh, those who are just remain just. Those who are, are, are wicked will be wicked, right? That's what the Bible says. So these people have made their decisions, and they would not repent even more time is given. And here, the plague of the fourth is that the sun will allow to scorch people with fire. Why sun? Isn't, does the Bible say the sun, sun is the sun, Jesus, God is the son of righteousness and is the healing power? So sun is sometimes represented as the son of righteousness, right? But here, why, does, why is the plague upon the sun and why is it allowed to scorch people? Isn't it funny? But let's think about this. The reason why God will use something so important, something so vital as sun to become the curse and burn people up is because of what the people have done to the sun. If you think about sun throughout the history, throughout different generations and empires, what did people do with, to the sun? They worship the sun. If you think about different generations, different empires, Egyptians believed the sun, sun god, which, is, which they named him Ra. And Babylonians had Marduk, which is the sun god. And Greeks had Apollos, which is their sun god. And the Romans served the sun god Sol Invictus. And Syrians had Arena or Hebat as their sun goddess. So this is just to name a few, but every single generation, every single empire, you can almost, all of them, you can point to that they worship the sun god. So sun, which is the blessing from God that God has given, people have turned it around and said, we worship, and they turn sun into the idol. And God is saying, you know what? If you believe sun is your god, I'm going to show you that sun is not your god. And I'm going to prove that I am your God. So God is allowing the sun to burn people up. And the issue here is not the sun. The issue is worship. It is worship. So who do you worship? Do you worship the God of the creator, God of the universe, the God of Israel? Or do you worship the man-made God, something that God has made, the creation that God has made? the rocks, the moon, the sun, the stars, something, an image that man has made. Do you worship that or do you worship the creator God? That is the issue. First Chronicles 16, 25 and 26, 29 and 30 says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. For the Lord made the heavens splendors 
and the majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in, the, in his dwelling place. Worship the Lord in, his, in the splendor of his holiness and tremble before him all the earth. We ought to worship God, God of creator. He alone is, is worthy to be praised. Fourth plague reminds us of that, our worship. So if we wait until that time, it is too late. We need to choose who we want to worship today. Do you want to worship God of this creation, God of universe, and have the seal of God? Or do you want to worship the image that the beast has made, the image that Satan is creating, the image that the Sunday and the image of the beast and the ease of this world and the prosperity of this world and wait until later to find out that it is not true and sun is scorching people. And the human worship, the worship of this man is not the correct one. What is your choice? And verse 10, the fifth plague is talking about this. Verse 10 it reads, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their, because of their pain and their sores, and, but they refused to repent of what they had done. So if you think about it, people who are here are in their pain, and they bite, they gnaw their tongues in agony, and of the pain of the source. So the source was the which plague? Was the first plague. And now is plague number five. So if you think about it, not like the plagues of Egypt, the ten plagues. When the first plague stopped, the second plague came. When the second plague stopped, the, the third plague came, right? But the seven last plagues, they are accumulative. So the first plague does not stop when the second plague comes. The second does not stop when the third plague comes, and they accumulate until the seventh plague comes. So that's what happens. But the fifth plague is what? Darkness. So Satan is promised, or the beast has promised, that, saying that, okay, I am the truth. I have the light, because truth is light. Light is truth, right? Satan says, this is the truth. Sunday worship is the truth. I have changed the law. Now I have changed the Ten Commandments. I am the angel of the light. That's what Satan said. And he, he even, even performed miracles saying that, yes, he appears as the angel of light. But guess what? Who is the light? God. Christ is our light. And he alone is the light, source of light. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 12, 46, as I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will remain, will not remain in darkness. So Jesus Christ is our light. So who do you choose? Do you choose God, the real light of this world? Or do you choose something that is counterfeit light today and find out that you, will, you have chosen darkness? What is our choice today? That is the fifth plague. And the message is that we need to hold on to the light of this world, true Jesus, true the, the righteousness 
of Jesus Christ. The sixth plague in verse 12 says this. Verse 12 says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. And they go out into the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. So here, the sixth plague is the river Euphrates drying up. Now, for us to understand this, we need to go back to the Old Testament. Now, river Euphrates was a, a mighty river that came, actually flew, flew out from the Garden of Eden. But the nation that benefited greatly from this river, one of the nations or empires was Babylon. Babylon was sitting on top of river Euphrates. And because of that, this kingdom, this, this, this city was thought to be indestructible. You know how the river Euphrates and the relationship between the river and, and the city of Babylon? City of Babylon was a huge city. If you go to the, find the ruins today, you can, the, the historians discover that the city of Babylon is 56 miles long. The city walls were 56 miles long around it. It's a huge city. Um, compared to today, it's still big. But back then, it was a huge city. And its fortress and its walls were 350 feet high. Can you imagine its surrounding walls 350 feet high? You can't even look up. Like, so high. And on top of that, that city surrounding the city wall... It could support houses on top. So it's not like one thick brick wall that you have. It's 350 feet high, but on top, it's wide enough to support houses. And the roads on top were wide enough for a chariot, four-horse chariots to go around. Four-horse chariots to go around. That's how wide the top of this building or this wall was. So people, no wonder they thought it was indestructible. Not only that, the river was flowing under this gigantic city. So you can't stop a river Euphrates because that is where the water source is coming. If you think about King Hezekiah, he, he dug up a tunnel for one water well so that the whole city could survive. Yes, there is water flowing still today, but that was just one water source of one stream, one well. But imagine one whole gigantic river flowing through the whole city. I mean, you cannot stop that river and that water source is providing nourishment and life for the citizens inside. So when Cyrus came to seize the city of Babylon, he was almost at the point of giving up, saying that, you know what, we could be here for years and years and years, and Babylon is still thriving. They're partying inside. They're not even worrying about us. They don't care because they are secure inside. They have enough food to survive for decades. And they have water flowing through underneath, and they cannot be destroyed. That's how safe it was. But you know what? God has prophesied through Isaiah how the river is going to dry up, how Babylon is going to be destroyed. 
Isaiah, 51, Isaiah 45, verse 1. <clears throat> this is what the Lord says to, to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to dis, uh, subdue nations before him and to strive kings of his, their armor to open doors before him. So if you know, if you know the story of Daniel chapter 5, King Belshazzar was parting that night, and he brought what? He brought out what? The vessels that his grandfather took from, from Judah, and he poured wine into the golden and silver and the wooden vessels taken from the temple of God. He poured wine on there, and he was drinking from that, and all people inside were drinking from that. And a hand came out and wrote on the wall, Mene, Mene, Shekel, Ufarshin, right? And that city, Babylon, fell that night. And that was precisely prophesied in the book of Isaiah. And you know what? That's how it happened. How it was able to do that, how uh, Cyrus was able to do that, because he was at the point of giving up. This is not going to work. We could be here for years, and still they are not going to give up. One soldier came up with this idea. What if we divert the river and the river Euphrates, when it dries up, when, it, the, when the water level goes low enough so that people can actually walk on the riverbed under its mighty walls, they can just march in. They have found Cyrus Cylinder, which describes, and uh, there is not enough evidence to tell, besides the Bible, of how Cyrus conquered Babylon. But there is one um, evidence that you find in, in Cyrus Cylinder. It says, on the night when I, dis when I destroyed Babylon, I did not lose a single soldier. That's what it says. So it proves how he was able to do that. And that was, that was prophesied in the Bible. And interesting part is this. <clears throat> Isaiah, 50, Isaiah 45, 1. This is what the Lord says to his anointed to Cyrus. The word anointed in Hebrew. I want to show you the Hebrew word. We'll have a little Hebrew lesson on the screen. If you go, this is the word in Isaiah 45, 1. This is what the Lord says to his anointed. This is the word anointed in Hebrew. Can you read it? <laughs> Now, this is what it says. The transliteration, I will show you. The, the next slide will show you the transliteration. What does it say? It reads, Ma-she-ah. If you read it, it, it's from right to left. Ma-she-ah. That's the word anointed describing Cyrus, which is the English word for Messiah. Messiah is the anointed one, right? So it's the same word that is used to describe Cyrus. What does that mean? Cyrus, a pagan king, is a type of the anointed one, Christ, who will come and destroy Babylon. Cyrus destroyed the ancient Babylon, but Christ, Jesus, will come and destroy the end-time Babylon. That's how this is prophesied. And River Euphrates, basically water. In the Bible, water represents what? According to Revelation chapter 17, 15, water represents people, nation, and tongue, right? So people that were supporting, so basically it's so a river that was supporting the city of Babylon is drying up. So it leads to destruction of the city. 
So the people that were supporting city of Babylon, meaning Satan and the beast, is now drying up because people realize that what, whatever the beast had promised through the mark of the beast, it cannot deliver. So they're, they're losing their confidence in the beast and they drop their trust in the mark of the beast. And when that happens, then Babylon will fall exactly the way how it was prophesied in the Bible. And verse 13, three unclean spirits that look like frogs came out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophets. So this happens after the Euphrates had dried up, when the support is dried up for, for the kingdom, for this, this beast, is now the three frogs, the unclean spirits. So this is still the... The scholars are still dis- discovering, still arguing what this means, the three frogs. What do you think the three frogs are? <laughs> so <clears throat> this is what um, I think or, or what, I, what I read and, and what I think it is. So the, the counterfeit trinity, the three frogs of the Protestantism and the Catholicism and the spiritualism, what they do is this. Why frog? The frog, if you think about frog and the plagues, when was the last time that you read the frogs and the plagues? Which part of the Bible? Old Testament. Egypt. Egypt, there was the plagues of of frogs, right? So, something about frogs is this. What was the first plague that happened in Egypt? Water turned into blood. Now, when Moses came and did that, what did Pharaoh do to his magicians? Go ahead and copy that and do what you can do. So magicians, were magicians able to do what Moses did? Yes. How many times? So the first miracle that Moses did before Pharaoh was what? He threw his staff and it turned into a snake. Were magicians be able to do that? Reproduce and, and copy and mimic? Yes. They were not the real snakes, but Satan was able to make a counterfeit of that, right? Second miracle was turning the river Nile into blood. And were magicians able to do that? Yes, they were able to do that. Frogs, were magicians able to produce frogs? Yes, not the real frogs, but they were able to do a counterfeit frog, mimic that. But after, that was the second, second uh, plague. The third plague, which is the knot or the, or the lice, Magicians came and said, you know what, Pharaoh, we tried, we can't do it. This is the finger of God. So from that point on, from the third plague on, magicians were not able to copy what Moses did. So the frogs, which is the last plague that the magicians were able to duplicate or to mimic or to copy. So this symbolizes the Satan's last deception is this. So the 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 false counterfeit trinity of Protestantism, Protestantism and Catholicism and spiritualism, they are going to, or this image, is going to try to mimic the lust and deception and bring even fire from heaven to deceive God's people. This is the last deception they are going to perform. From that point on, they are not going to do that. So with this deception, they are bringing, deceiving God's people to come and 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 prepare for the, the Armageddon, the, the battle of Armageddon. That's where the Armageddon happens. 
So um, the seventh plague. So what is the sign and the demoniac deception in the last plague of the seventh plague? In um, is this in in verse sixteen Armageddon. Basically, the word Armageddon means is the two combination word of of Hebrew word Har, which means mountain or hill. Uh, Megiddo is a, a name of a place. So basically, it means a, a hill of Megiddo. If you go to hill of Megiddo today, it's just a hill, a, a mound where the civilization had built upon uh, uh, the previous generation. But that, my friend, is not the exact location of Megiddo. Megiddo, or hill of Megiddo, that, because that is not a mountain. It's just, a, a, it's just the ruins of place, cities where it, it was built. But the hill of Megiddo actually is, according to um, the commentator here, it says, and also many other commentators agree on this, hill of Megiddo is actually the Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is actually only about 12 miles from the site of Megiddo. You can actually see it. It's only 12 miles. And it's one of the greatest mountains they can see. And what happened in the Mount Carmel in history, in the Old Testament? Elijah went up there, and he called. He invited how many people? Who? False prophets of Baal and, and uh, Azera. So altogether, 850 prophets came, and fire came down. And basically, the message of that, that event was that if God is God, choose him, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. That was the message, right? So the battle of Armageddon, or Harmageddon, is this, that you choose, if God is God, follow him. If Satan is God, follow him. That is the greatest deception that Satan is going to draw people to, to worship and to, to fight for the battle. And <clears throat> the seventh plague in verse 17, I'm not going to read the verse because of time, a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. It is done. Up until the sixth plague, people have been disappointed after one after another. And God's people at this time comes out, God's people are going to be delivered. Bible says it is done, and he has performed what he has promised. So the seventh plague actually is actually a deliverance for God's people. It is not really a plague. It is a plague. It's a judgment for the people who have received the mark of the beast. But people who have received the seal of God, it is actually the salvation. It is actually, it is done message. So my friends, in the end, message today is clear. Side with God today and do not receive the mark of the beast. God is our ultimate deliverance and he is our deliverer. He will save us. If we trust, if we believe, if we follow Satan and receive the mark of the beast, eventually we receive the seven last plagues. And if you wait until that time, it is too late. The time is now before the probation closes so my call for you and me today is that christ is the center and the focus of even the seven last plagues and today we need to wake up and we need to believe we need to follow and we need to be ready to receive the seal of god do you want to receive the seal of god i pray that we will prepare our hearts and minds so that we will receive the seal of God. We will have the protection of God so that we will not receive the mark of the beast. We will not participate in the seven last plagues. When the seven last plagues fall, God's people will have the security from God and they will not be punished. They will not be harmed. First three plagues 
fell upon both Egyptians and the land of Goshen. But from the fourth and on, land of Goshen was spared. Only the plague fell on Egypt. Just like that, seven last plagues will not affect God's people. It will only affect people who receive the mark of the beast. So I pray that we will receive the seal of God. We will not participate in the seven last plagues. May God help us to receive God's seal. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we have read this message of people who are thinking that God is a merciless God. He has no love when he sends seven last plagues. But Lord, we realize that Christ is in the center of the seven last plagues. He is yearning, he's waiting, he's, he's crying out to each and every one of us not to receive the mark of the beast, but have the seal of God in us today so that we can escape the seven last plagues. So Lord, we pray that you please prepare our hearts and minds so that we will receive the seal of God. Speak to us, Lord. Teach us and give us the seal of God. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise team, please come on up.